Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Jokic Murray combine for 53 points as the Denver Nuggets take game one of the NBA Finals last night over the Miami Heat, 104 to 93. And we're off and running. Good morning. Welcome to this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, the five-tool player himself, Dawson Iserlo. D-Lo, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm okay. Doing <laughs> all right. <laughs> My man, you know what? He adapts. Boom. He's like a broadcasting Marine. Adapt and overcome is what my man does daily in the world of broadcasting. We got a great show lined up for you today. We'll be talking Houston Astros baseball. They got back on track. We'll talk about that with James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast when he joins us at 7 o'clock. At 7.30, we're going to talk Coral Gables Regional. We're going to talk Miami Hurricanes baseball in particular with Fish Parasuma. Then at 8 o'clock, Kevin Foote, you know, the guy that allegedly hosts footnotes with Kevin Foote right here from 9 to 11 on the game. Well, he's down in Coral Gables. He's going to give us Raging Cajun's latest update for Matt Deggs' team who begins playing the regionals today. That'll be at straight up 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, Zachary Sim will be joining us from orangebloods.com. He covers the Texas Longhorns. So lots of baseball talk on deck. All the guests are baseball-related on this Friday edition of the show. But we'll also make sure to get to the news coming out of the SEC meetings. Boo. Giving you a preview of how I feel about it. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we start off today talking about those NBA Finals. Dynamic performance by the two stars for the Denver Nuggets. And they stepped up. Stepped up in a big way. Jokic had 27 points, 14 assists, and 10 rebounds. That's just a ho-hum triple-double. (laughs) and he made it look really really easy immensely efficient from the field only eight of 12 and he made him count as he got a triple double the former two-time league mvp murray just as good 26 points 10 assists six boards for himself 
as he was 11 to 22 from the field but it just wasn't those two guys they got contributions Michael Porter Jr. chipped in 14 Gordon was hot early on he shot 7 to 10 from the field he gave him 16 points in the win as well and they only went with an eight-man rotation in last night's game with Brown coming off the bench giving them 10 Nuggets were wildly efficient built up a nine-point lead after the first quarter extended it at halftime leading by 16 and they were never really were threatened Miami made a charge there in the fourth But by that time, Denver had already built up such a comfortable lead. It really didn't matter. Jimmy Butler did not have a good game. He only scored 13 points, 6 of 14 shooting. He did have 7 assists and 7 rebounds. They got a good game from Bam offensively. 26 and 13 with 5 assists. But it wasn't nearly enough. Vincent gave him 19, which was nice. But Martin and Strius combined for three points. And that's going to be your problem in this series right there. Those guys stepped up in a huge way. D'Lo against Boston couldn't miss, it didn't seem like. And last night, they fell back down to earth as they both combined to go one of 17 from the field and went one of 11 from three-point range. Yeah, they uh, they finally played the way we expected them to play in the first round against the Bucks, right? Uh, Correct. And 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 I mean Miami as a whole, really. Um, but those role players, uh, you know, especially now Butler. Look, he didn't. I talked about this on footnotes yesterday. Like there was a bit of a different, and I don't know how much of it was schematic and how much of it was just Butler struggling at the end of that series. But he wasn't quite as dominant for you know until of course he had a big game seven performance, but. Boston got back into that series because they were able to defend Butler differently. So I, I think and he had the ankle issue that yeah, happened yeah, in the series, which may have, yeah, yeah, and and who knows how hundred you know how close to hundred percent he is right now. But um, game one surprisingly like went pretty much as game one like we has for the first time in this postseason a game went the way we thought it would go right like Denver yeah kind of had their way. Now it was a little bit more defensive and slower pace, but again sometimes the pace just is dictated by how the flow of the game is going, and Denver was comfortable slowing things down at times last night. Um, also, Miami just couldn't buy a bucket at certain points of this game, and they never really made a run. Now, I mean, they got it actually closer in the fourth quarter than it was for much of the game because um, it was you know sitting around 15, 16-point deficit for a long time. They get it into single digits, and they, they threatened slightly, but yeah, Denver never really let them make a real legitimate run at it. And, and they didn't get anything. I mean, Jimmy had an off night. Bam tried to carry the load, and Bam was was efficient. But once again, two of their guys that were so key in the Boston series, once again, combined to go, wait for it, one of 17. I, I don't care how talented you are. You can't have two of your starters go one of 17. Like It's just not going to work that way. Not against a team as offensively talented as Denver is. See that that you can play good defense and spoke and draw up some defensive schemes, but your guys are gonna have to make buckets. You have to keep pace with Denver. That's the whole key. And they didn't have anyone that even remotely helped last night. I mean, Highsmith gave him 18 off the bench. He had a good night, seven of ten. 
But that was it. I mean, everyone else was in single digits. What an NBA record low free throw attempts for the Miami Heat last night as well. Um, but I, and it was I as if they played the Los Angeles Lakers. No, I'm just well, and the funny thing though is is, and I I didn't see every possession of this game the way I would have liked to, but it didn't feel like there were any egregiously missed calls either. Like it just felt like I mean they let them play like they have in the playoffs. Though it just felt like Miami wasn't aggressive enough to warrant plenty of trips to the free throw line. I thought they didn't play a good game, right? And this wasn't. Because Denver was able to get to the to you know to the free throw line and, and look, Jokic himself was ten of twelve. Denver shot sixteen of twenty from the charity stripe. So obviously a huge disparity there. Uh, but that's not that wasn't the key to the game. The key to the game was that Denver was the better team last night. They played with more intensity. They played with better execution. Plain and simple. That's what it boiled down to. And once again. Denver's depth, we've talked about this the entire postseason. They have multiple guys that they can use. And the thing about it, if you're Miami, Denver only used eight guys last night and still comfortably beat you. Like They didn't have to go deep on the bench to be able to beat you by double digits. That's something that you got to be a little concerned about. You're right about Jimmy for most of the Boston series. He didn't seem right until the very end. He's probably not 100% healthy, but you got to get a better performance for him. Like, you can't have Jimmy Butler going out there scoring 13 points. It's just not how, there's no way. You don't have a chance. And look, it was great to see Bam play well offensively. You'd like him to play a little bit better defensively. But it was great what you got out of Bam. But the other guy's got to step up, and that includes Jimmy. Like, you, you, your best player can't only score 13 points. There's no way you're going to win this series. There's no way you're going to win a game if this is what you're going to put out on the court. I think it's important that Miami gets two days. Uh, they get Friday yes. and Saturday. So we've, we've discussed the rest versus rust um, situation. Felt like maybe Miami was a little drained too um, in that one with how much they exerted against Boston. So because they had to go seven games. Yeah. Now and look, they're not going to get this. There's not going to be a week off in the middle of this series. But you get a couple of days before game two, and then you'll get probably a couple more with the travel situation. So you know, a chance to kind of reset. And hey, if if you're Miami again, you just have to steal one on the road here, and you're right back in it. So um, nothing, nothing set in stone you can't lose a series in the first game so they're, they're gonna no. be all right but uh yeah it wasn't encouraging the way they looked and your job as the road team is to steal a game okay well you didn't lose the first game but you showed fight in the fourth right some things started to go for you the right way in the fourth quarter you can try to build on that make your adjustments once again i think it's ludicrous that there's a full two days off in between games one and two but i digress this is done to maximize TV contracts. This is why this always happens. Everyone goes, well, why are they doing this, RP3? Why are they doing this, RP3? They're doing it because of television money. Always remember that. Most decisions made when it comes to championships or championship series or playoffs or whatever it is, is based on television revenue. Never forget that, people. But yes, Game one went completely Denver's way. We'll see if game two on Sunday does the same. But that wasn't the only bit of NBA news to get to. 
Boy, John Morant's going to get probably a hefty suspension, right? We, we Did you hear what the commissioner had to say? And he's very passive, but he always has his kind of state of the league, so to speak, address right before the beginning of the NBA Finals. And Adam Silver indicated that he has reached a decision regarding the league's office looming disciplinary action against Memphis Grizzlies superstar guard Ja Morant, but would wait until after a champion has been crowned, yes, as in yes, fairness once, to both the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat. Once again, he decided this is for him to know and for us to find out when he sees appropriate. Um, I get kind of why they did that, but then why even say the decision's been made? Like, uh, you know, like why not just keep it all under Because he... You know, saying you don't want to take away from the, the, the championship that's taking place in front of you and kind of steal the headlines, I get it. But then why even say, I guess, and maybe he was directly asked, but, like, why even bring up he the fact that He was directly asked about it. You should just say it's an ongoing investigation. Like, he could have just said that and been over with it, right? But he says that this, now we get this awkward. It's still going to make awkward. headlines. It's, 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 it's not awkward, and it was done on purpose. Right, but, well. This is a way, so you, you got to read between the lines here. This is his way of yes, he knows that it's going to make headlines. He understands that. That's the whole point of it, is to remind everyone I'm the commissioner. Well, and I and I guess he's trying to make headlines without letting it steal the spotlight. So, to, so to, maybe that's the idea. And it's here. also a message to John Morant and well, others to say, hey, hey, yeah, yeah. I this was going to say the way it was do. worded. It's a power it, move. It didn't sound like we found out he didn't do anything wrong. It didn't sound. No, like that. so it's it not how it sounded happen. like. No. That's not how it sounded like at all, and I mean, we're but but really, are we talking like fifty games? Are we talking Ooh. ten games? Are we talking a season? You know, like I, it feels it feels like around fifty to me. It, it just yeah, because it's the way. This is what he said. So during his annual news conference before the NBA Finals, Silver said, "quote The history of prior acts and the individual players' history end quote would be considered." When assessing what discipline is appropriate. Now, remember, they've already suspended yeah. him once before. We've heard of that with Draymond Green in the past as far as on-court incidents. You always bring in Draymond. man hates Draymond Green. No, no. Yeah. That's not what <laughs> I'm giving you a relevant precedent. I did. This is, quote, we've uncovered a fair amount of additional information. I think since I was first asked about the situation, I will say we will probably could have brought it to a head now but we made the decision and I believe the players association agrees with us that it would be unfair to these players and these teams in the middle of the series to announce the results of that investigation given that we're of course in the offseason he has now been suspended by the Memphis Grizzlies indefinitely so nothing would have changed in any way in the next few weeks it seemed better to park that at the moment at least any public announcement and my sense now is that shortly after the conclusion of the finals we'll announce the outcome of that investigation when asked if Morant's eight-game suspension was too light in hindsight, Silver said that Morant came across as, quote, heartfelt and serious during their March meeting. And then it happened again. <laughs> uh, Another. Quote, I guess in hindsight, I don't know. If it had been a 12-game suspension instead of an eight-game suspension, would have that mattered? I know it seemed based on precedent, and he's represented, and we wanted to be fair in terms of the league. It seemed appropriate at the time. That's all I can say. Maybe by definition, to the extent we've all seen the video, that it appears that he's done it again. I guess you could say maybe not. 
Well, I, I think another translation for that might have been when the NBA Finals are over and people start to not talk about the NBA, then we'll announce this so that we can keep talking about it. That might be another little aspect of the uh, of the PR decision not to announce it now. Oh, he's getting he's getting a massive suspension because you've been suspended once by the league. They've already talked to you about this, and then you say you appear nothing, nothing pisses off a commissioner more than a player going through the song and dance that they are remorseful and that they're sorry for their actions and then they turn around and do it again because now you've embarrassed the commissioner you've already embarrassed the league but now you've embarrassed the commissioner because the commissioner talked to you the commissioner disciplined you and you went through this whole thing that you were sorry and now the commissioner has egg on his face. Let me know how that works out for you. I love Ja. I love his game. I love how he plays. But somebody's in his ear, and somebody's got to do a better job, honestly, because he is going to get a massive suspension, if I had to guess. We have to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, well, what are we going to talk about? What could we possibly talk about? How about the SEC? And their decision that they made yesterday while in Destin. We'll discuss that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So the mighty SEC decides to bring the weak sauce to the table yesterday. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. The SEC is one of the driving forces of essentially blowing up college football and creating these super leagues. And they're adding Texas and Oklahoma finally in 2024. So you're expanding your league. And we've heard nothing but, well, we need to go to nine games. We need to go to nine games. All the other conferences play all these other Power 5 teams. But the SEC is still playing the likes of Mercer for uh, a late-season non-conference game because they don't play as many conference games or as many Power 5 games. So what do they do in Destin? Well, in 2024, we're going to go with an eight-game conference slate. We're getting rid of divisions, but we're going to go with an eight-game conference slate. Stop being weak. That is just garbage. There's no excuse for this. None. You're expanding your league. We spent all this time. Why not just play nine conference games? You want to stick with eight? Great. Then don't be one of the ones 
Don't be a league that decided to try to blow up college football with all the 16-team super conferences and to blow up the sport along the way. This is Bush League, man. It's absolutely 110% Bush League. You're one of the driving forces. Greg Sankey and the rest of the SEC is one of the driving forces of blowing up college football because you want to create 16-team power conferences. Great. Okay. Then back it up. Put your big boy pants on. Play nine conference games. Like, for real, this is what we're doing? Well, I, I don't – so I feel multiple different ways about the same topic because, for one, I don't mind that they play eight because I actually like more non-conference games. Now, when you – again, when it's FCS games, filler games, then that's not as, you know, quite as ideal, right? But but that's what they're going to do. They're not going to change right, that well, the idea. Well, I, but I worry the idea with nine conference games is you're still going to play an FCS filler game and now you're only going to play two legitimate games. And I just like seeing other conferences. I don't like with the fact – and Kevin Foote actually would agree with me on this – Conference games are different, and I like seeing when you you know different matchups until before the playoff. Now the twelve team playoffs going to solve some of that. So anyway, let me I want to see there. more quality games. If you add well, another uh, conference game, that's a quality game because it's going to mean something. Right, so but add it. Don't be scared. Stop scheduling all the FCS games. Put your big boy pants on and go out there and do what everyone else is doing. And the reason why they don't is because they don't have to because well, they're the SEC and they win everything. Yeah, no, it's there's different levels to it, like I mentioned. So that's one one aspect I think of it. The other thing, though, is uh, I you're you're completely dis, you're dismantling the meaning of a conference, and uh, they've been doing that for a while now. Yeah, and now look, you said the SEC wants to be the driving force in creating super conferences. I don't know if they care what happens outside the SEC. I think they're they're trying to create a super conference, and it's theirs. I don't think they really uh, give a darn what happens with the rest of college football's conferences and. If something happens that they that will be beneficial of to them, of course they don't. But it they doesn't mean that it, it's right? not being weak. They become well, the first sixteen team power conference to only play eight league games. Well, and and so again, yeah, back to back Garbage. to my kind of my my thoughts on this. Having a conference that has sixteen teams, first of all, is pointless to me because you're no longer a conference. You're essentially, yeah, you're a collection of teams. You're not going to play each other in almost any sport. What what sport are you going to have the schedule? capacity <laughs> to play 15 opponents right uh and so correct you know, so maybe basketball no you play everybody once and so outside there's of that, no excuse not to have that extra conference game well yeah and, but but that's the other thing too here that i just can't stand with the entire 16 team thing in general is you're gonna there's gonna be teams even with this rotating pod of teams whatever there's gonna be teams you don't see for four years in your own conference and like even the sunbelt at 14 is in a similar situation i wish conferences personally i think they should all be 12 i think 12 teams is a great number for a conference uh, 10 works as well because you play seven conference games or I mean eight conference games and you're only playing a couple teams that rotate 12 I think is the same way you have set you know six teams that yes. you're set playing every year and then rotating with the rest of them but you see everybody every two or three years at most but now the fact that again like the Cajuns still haven't played coastal since th the COVID season happened like and that's and the SEC is going to be worse than that now they've got even more teams so I just don't I it's not a conference anymore. The conference is supposed to be a collection of teams that are close knit who every year play each other, battle out and decide who's the best team. We're not going to have that anymore. Oklahoma's going to go 4 or 5 years without playing teams like I don't know Auburn or whoever it falls in the rotation of. And that's just then what's even the point of being in a conference? What's the point of even you're Yeah, gonna, thank you. What's the point of even being in a gonna conference? You're going to have teams that you play more often in non-conference just because of like the way contracts work. 
Like, Tulane and Ole Miss are going to play each other more often than Ole Miss plays. Again, I don't know who the rotations are going to be. Missouri, though, in a five-year span, just because they scheduled a non-conference series that has more meetings within a five-year span than your actual regular rotating SEC schedule. They announced that they're going to go with an eight-game conference schedule for football in 2024 with divisions eliminated. Ooh. You're to the point now where you've expanded so much that divisions don't even matter. Right? They, they don't because now you're up to 16 teams. So it doesn't even matter. So you're getting rid of divisions. In addition, I guess the one good thing they're saving grace here is that one required opponent from the ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12 are major independent during the 2024 season. So they're forcing their hand to play one marquee. Well, not marquee. Let me take that back. They can play Kansas. Kansas. Oh, see, poor Kansas. There we go. They they can play Georgia Tech, right? So Chris from Atlanta is not going to like that stray. Well, well, the Georgia Bulldogs that'll be their their one. (laughs) So they're not even being forced. It's only one. So that still leaves four. They have four non-conference games because they're only playing eight. Right? They're going to play twelve games. So one of them has to be against a team from a Power Five conference. Doesn't mean they have to be a good team from a Power Five conference. Means they can play Oregon State in football, not baseball, by the way. Football. <laughs> All right. This is what we're doing. They can play Kansas. They can play Indiana. Ooh. Let me get excited about the competition that's going to be. Like, and and then then you're going to leave three games. So we're going to see, no offense to southeastern Louisiana, okay, or northwestern state, or UAB, or whoever else it may be. Like, these are the teams that are going to be filling up their schedules in 2024. And here's the other thing. Courtesy of Brett McMurphy, who gave uh, credit to Scott Docterman. Teams playing at least 10 Power 5 opponents in 2023. Okay, this is broken down by conference. In the Big Ten, 13 of the 14 schools are playing at least 10 Power 5 opponents, which is a combination of their own conference slate and Power 5 teams from outside their conference. Big Ten, 13 out of 14. The Big 12, 11 out of 14. The Pac-12, 10 out of 12 teams. The ACC, 10 out of 15 teams. And the SEC, 2 of 14. So, I don't feel quite as strongly on that regard just because I don't want a Power 5 Super League where everybody plays Power 5 opponents every week. I think that's the NFL, and it's different. I want quality games. I don't need them every week. the fact that the SEC... I do need them every week. I expect them every week. I want quality. If you're going to have me sit down and watch the product you're putting out on the field, mm. I think we're. I want to see you take on. I don't want to see you take on little sisters of the poor. So that does not appeal to me. Watching Alabama and Nick Saban beat up on Mercer is not good quality television. It's not good quality product. It's just not. Period. Point blank. It is garbage. So I would just have a counter-argument about, A, the things that it does for the smaller programs, um, and B, the ability for FBS football to remain as strong as it is with 130 teams in the mix. Um, And I think, I I understand the idea of playing more consistent, tough non-conference games, and I'm not necessarily arguing that, but 
I am saying if you if you want to get to the point where all the big boys just play the big boys and you have a 40-team Super League that just plays each other, you'll have the NFL Junior, and I think that's not where we want to go. So That's where it's, it's already at, It's though. a fine line. Not, not that, really, that, that, though. That, that's where we're already at. I don't think so. I don't all think the, so. All Especially the decisions with the made in well, college football have nothing to do with the Raging Cajuns of the Sun Belt Conference or any other of those conferences. Oh, well, I understand it's that. It's all but dictated I, by the big boys. The big boys are this farce that there, there's, there's, there's this e- equal playing field no, I don't, I, I'm not suggesting it is, but I will say this. The, the expanded playoff is, is a decision that actually shifted things in slightly the opposite direction for the first time in a long time, and I think it could be great for the sport. I'm not like Do you not think four SEC teams are going to get into the playoff, my no, man. Oh, absolutely, but that doesn't that doesn't negate the fact that the 70 plus teams that never had a chance before have representation now, and that's important. That's very important, in my opinion. We got we're we're overdue here, but well, this is a good I, argument. Not, well. It's not really an argument. I just can't Discussion. like. It's not good for the, it's not good for the game to have LSU playing Southeast. It may be good for those programs well, but it, because they but get it, a paycheck. But I don't care about that. But it happens once a year for those teams, and it's been happening for a hundred years. So I just it don't doesn't think mean, it. Just because it's been going on for decades doesn't mean it's right. Well, I'm, I'm well, just I saying I don't think it's bad for the a game. A plethora it, of things in history of humankind. Oh, well, we're getting very that broad that would suggest here. that. I understand just because that. it's no, been I, done I, a certain way doesn't mean that it's right. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm saying. It's not. It happens once a those teams playing one FCS game a year, and it doesn't even have to be an FCS game. How about just better uh, incorporation of Group of Five opponents into the Power Five schedules? That's more consistent and fair based on scheduling and who's going where and things like that. And you believe that they're going to do this? No, no, no. That's a big no. I there don't. we go. No, there we go. Once again, your yeah. theory sounds great, but you know what theories are? They're words on a piece of paper. Oh, well, no. It doesn't I necessarily apply. And the SEC showed you again yesterday that they don't care about your theories. They don't care about anything. The only thing they care about is they do whatever the hell they want to do. Plain and simple. And we're going to get a watered-down product yet again with crap matchups in 2024. Because that's what you're going to get. You're going to look at that schedule and you're going to be like, barf. It's what you're going to want to do. Salty at 6.37 in the morning on a Friday. Thanks, Greg Sankey. Appreciate you. Got to take a timeout. Ran super long. We'll talk about something that won't have my blood pressure boil coming up next. Right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. As it happens sometimes, the discussion on the air will carry over. <laughs> so we came up. So I have a solution here, which will never happen. And Dawson actually agrees with me here. Because we're, 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 we're somewhat on the same page here. Why couldn't you just do a rotation? Right? Why can you just set it up? If you want to let SEC play the little sisters of the poor once a year for homecoming or whatever... You know, the games that season ticket holders give away to family members or friends (laughs) because they don't want to go to it. 
that game that the SEC loves to do, that one, well, here's how you fix that. You let him keep that game, fine, whatever. And then you do a rotation of a schedule. We're say the SEC says, okay, we're going to, everyone in the SEC this year, we're going to play a team from the Big 12. And you'll play a team from the Sun Belt and play a team from the American this year. That's how it's going to go down. I love it. No, and I, I think, and that speaks to what I'm talking about. I just didn't want this to become a, because I think it quickly would become a 40 team and not, now, you know, you're, it's funny too, these Power 5 teams that are in there like Kansas and Georgia Tech and are thinking they're safe and, they're, and, and the way it's headed, they're not safe either. The Power 5 would take the elite of the elite. LSU, yeah, you'd be safe. You'd be in there. Alabama, you'd be in there. Texas, you know, um, UCLA, USC, you'd all be safe. But that would be it. And, it. and Notre Dame would get in there as well and you would have this thing. But if you create a, which I would love. Now, you know what would help that potentially? College football is like this, what, billion-dollar industry and there's nobody in charge of it. You know what I mean? That's we've, we've had correct. this conversation before and we can have it again. Like, I think it would, it would. that's something where if you had a commissioner of the sport, or a you know president of the sport, a sanctioning group of people that are collectively in, in charge of college football, not the NCAA and not the college football playoff and not the SEC, but college football, then maybe you could do these type of mandates and things that are better for the game itself and not because the problem is, in my opinion, every time one of these decisions gets made, like you mentioned with the SEC, the SEC is acting in the interest of the SEC because, and in fairness to them, they are not college football as a whole. They have rooted interests, and they're going to try to do what's best for their institutions and their league. So Correct. there's no reason for them to act in the better. No one's going to be a hero and try to act in the betterment of college football. Once if again, had if a, the NCAA leadership would yeah, be stronger. and had a governing body over college football, maybe you could make decisions that are better for the sport itself instead of individual institutions. And, which, and that was my pushback to you is that we already have a feeder mm-hmm. mini NFL going on. It's these right. conferences that run themselves like they are a professional and league. Just, and there's just not that none of that's going to change. And look, I'm not, the, I'm not creating an idea here. There's, there's been talks for a long time oh, no, that college no, football no. needed yes. that. But yet we don't get it continuously. And then the funny thing is, is it's not like it's something that goes unnoticed. We continuously see situations where we need it. Like when all this college football playoff <laughs> stuff was going on where nobody knew what was going on and ranking systems were messed up and we're trying to redo it. You thought, man, if somebody was in charge of, of kind of organizing this, think about, you know, people give Roger Goodell such a tough time, but think about how well the NFL's run as a business and as a decision-making process. Now, look, certainly they make mistakes, and we, we could talk about their officiating and things like that. But for the most part, when something needs to get done and the NFL has to get it done, they get it done. So that's my rant for the day. Poll question of the day. How do you feel about the SEC playing just eight conference games in 2024? It's really weak. It's kind of weak. It's not a big deal. 47% of you say it's not a big deal. 47% of you love Mercer versus Alabama matchups. That's your that's that's your Huckleberry. You love spending your Saturday watching the old Jefferson Pilot games. I'm I, you know, I get misty-eyed about Jefferson Pilot games as well, but not the to that Citadel extent. once carried a halftime lead into the locker room against Alabama. That was a great day. <laughs> ULM beat Alabama. Well, by the way. that was, but this was a different Alabama team. But um, yes, it yes. didn't go well for Citadel in the second half. But no. the first half, they had a moment there where it was going great. Forty-seven percent of you say it's not a big deal. Twenty-nine percent say it's really weak. Twenty-four percent say it's kind of weak. Let's get to some comments. 
yes, I think the Cajuns have a chance in Miami and LSU wins the regional easily. What? The poll question isn't about NCAA baseball, but I, I want to be nice today. Hashtag Salty in the Berry, still a friend of the show. This man just wants – I don't know what to do with Ralph. I don't know what to do with Ralph. He complains about the poll question yet again. This is the third straight day. Ralph is bordering on us not reading his comments. You know, I took your – I will say this. I took your SEC question, and I went with it without questioning it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I really should have pushed back and tried to get a regional question done there instead. But um, we could have multiple questions in a day if it sees fit. That could be something to look into in the future. I mean, it doesn't have to be down to one. It could be the poll questions, plural, of the day. There's a lot we're talking about on a Friday, right? It's a big weekend. There, 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 there is. There is. And now, now, not only am I having Ralph no, questioning wait, no, the, the poll question. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Who determines who gets their questions read on the air, their comments read on the air? Who determines who's even gets to speak on the show? Y'all keep pushing. Keep pu- keep poking the bear. Keep poking the bear. Let's see what, how that works out for everyone. Let's see how that works out. Because I saw. What's the name of the show? I don't know, but I have the buttons here. They're closer to me than they are to you. The buttons that control it all. Oh, Ralph. Ralph, why are you salty in the berry? I can't. I'm salty today. So much so that Salty Steve messaged me and said, whoa, time out, bud. It's early in the morning for you to be so salty. We got nothing but love for you, Ralph. All in jest. B-Rad says, I've been against nine games because it was just pressure from other conferences and media scum, and all they wanted was the top SEC teams to take a loss. But with 16 teams, I'm in favor of a nine-game schedule. i actually surprised they're sticking with eight for now. Yeah, if you weren't going to 16 teams, I'd say, okay, eight's fine. But you're going to 16 teams now. I'd also say the funny thing, and I don't mean to get it, but if the SEC was as big and bad as they say they are, then they wouldn't be worried about losing any of those games anyway, right? Well, and now it's... I guess you're playing each other. You have to lose a game. That's the idea with the nine-game schedule. But the strength of schedule numbers, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, too. I really think the 12-team playoff, by the way, plays a role in this. Like They're they're seeing lanes to go, well, if you don't have to challenge yourself here, and then there's going to be a committee at some point that's going to have to probably pick between a 10-2 and two or an 11-1 and one team and a, well, maybe not 11-1, a 10-2 and two or a 9-3 and three team, and then maybe the strength, maybe the team that played the extra Power 5 opponent from the Pac-12 or the Big 12 gets the nod over that fringe SEC team. Maybe we'll see You that. would think that. And we'll see what We'll happens, see. Right? We'll see. Yeah. But no, that's, that's a good point by you. Uh, Salty Steve says, SEC schedules are so tough, it will not affect any team's power rankings. Oklahoma and Texas will find out quickly when they join the SEC. It just means more. I, I root for a team in the SEC. Okay? So let me, let, let, let me be clear here. Missouri and Vandy and Kentucky aren't scaring anybody, guys. You have Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. It's a top-heavy league. Are you afraid and you think Auburn's tough? They've been tough lately. Missouri? They're talking about firing Drinkwitz already. Vandy is the laughingstock of college football. Really? Like, I, I, the SEC's tough. I get it. I, I get it. They have, year in, year out, the best team in college football, more than likely. And Georgia destroyed TCU. And is Oklahoma going to struggle when they move to the SEC? They sure are. Is Texas going to struggle? They sure are. Make no bones about it. But, like... 
there's some crap teams in the SEC, guys. Like, are, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Are you just focused in on the shiny car at the front of the parade and not the jalopy at the end? That's cleaning up the, the horse manure that's on the parade route. Because that's what some of those teams are. Like, there's crap teams in the SEC that would be crap in other conferences too. Okay? So, SEC chant guy? No. No. Like, I can love my team and root for my team and still be wildly critical of the conference. As you should be. Because you want what's best for the conference. As I do with the Sun Belt. Hashtag Fun Belt. So, yeah, I, I get it. But you're playing only a few teams that are really, really good. And a bunch of teams that are... Oh, did, did Florida scare anyone this year, guys? This last year? I love Billy Napier, but was Florida a good team last year? No, they weren't. Missouri, no. Vandy, no. They just weren't. So, okay. Keep those votes coming. This is why this is the poll question of the day, by the way. Keep their comments coming as well, and we'll share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I must not have slept well because I am all types of cranky pants, as my wife and, well, in particular, my daughter would call me. Dad, why are you being cranky pants? I'm, I'm trying not to be. It's okay. You know why? Why, bud? Because this afternoon you're gonna get. You could put the Octo Box on your TV if you want to, and get. You can have Stillwater. You can have Winston Salem. You can oh. have Baton Rouge, Coral Gables, all on the screen. I will once. be in Baton Rouge live covering the LSU Tulane game, mm-hmm. but I will be keeping an eye on the other regionals because I do love this weekend. Certainly, it is. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you, D-Lo. Making me less salty already. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments if you dare. I'll read them no matter if I don't agree with you or not. You know that. It's nothing but love here on RP3 and Company. Hour one is in the books. Did he get off the rails a little bit? Yes. Is that okay? That's okay, too. James Yasko from the Lehman Time Time podcast will join us talking to Houston Astros. That's how we'll kick off hour number two. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and salty one today. Very salty today. The SEC's decision from Destin yesterday made me all fired up. I knew it was going to be firing me up, 
But when I opened up my microphone this morning, I was all types of saltiness. I've had to calm myself down. Thankfully, I got D-Lo here, the producer extraordinaire. Thank you again, bud. Appreciate you. Yeah, we're just we're just trying to keep things rolling here. No, but I think uh, it's funny, too. We do this a lot. We have pretty big arguments, and then in the breaks, we kind of realize we're pretty much on the same side. We're yes. just kind of different ways of getting there. So, And I'm usually far more aggressive and animated about how I get there. Well, sometimes. sometimes. And, 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 and you're calm, cool, and collected. I also have to maintain a level of calmness on footnotes every day, so it's like I have practice. You're conditioned to handle when I do have a flare-up here. From time to time, go vote on our poll question of the day. Uh, it's a good one. It's about the SEC deciding to only play eight conference games in uh, 2024 because, you know, why not you expand your league and add Oklahoma and Texas? Well, let's keep playing all those other games that don't matter. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Right now, it's time for us to talk some baseball. Houston Astros. Took down the little fighting MVPs 5-2 to two last night. Abreu got himself an extra base hit and drove in some runs. I know. Stop the presses. Tucker had a monster game going 3-4. for four. And not only did they get good production from the lineup, Blanco came in there, scattered seven hits, only gave up two earned runs, struck out five and five in a third innings of work. Ryan Presley picks up his 11th save of the season to talk about those strows getting back on track by taking down the halos is the man who's a co-host of the Lehman Time Time podcast also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle our good friend James Yasko joins us James good morning how are you I, I think the SEC is terrified of OU uh that's 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 my takeaway from that. <laughs> oh there it is there it is all right bud Tell me, how exciting was it last night when you got to see Abreu get an extra base hit and drive in some runs? Uh, I, 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 I journaled about it. Uh, I've meditated on it this morning, and I, I found it to be very acceptable. Found it to be very acceptable, he says. Oh, man. It, it, no, hey, look, you look at this team last night. Obviously, the Angels are an okay team right now. But Altuve gets a hit. Pena gets a hit. Briggs gets a hit, Tucker, monster game, Abreu even gets a hit, Jolks. I mean, they did a nice job from top to bottom as nearly everyone in the lineup recorded a hit. I like how this lineup kind of matches up as well, the way Dusty has it with Abreu way down in the lineup there in the six hole. I think that's probably good for him until he can get started. Uh, what do you make of the adjustments Dusty has made himself with this lineup trying to navigate everything i think i think it's it, it, i mean one he's the, the man's won 20 2126 games as a manager like the, anyone that says that they know more about baseball than dusty baker needs to find the nearest tall building and, and immediately jump off of it um the way that that he sort of managed you know not having altuve not having brantley um you know all of the the injuries to to pitchers but that are young and old. I mean, the, the, this is an equal opportunity injury uh, injured list uh, for the Astros. The thing that stands out the most to me is that on May seventh, Alex Bregman was hitting one ninety five, like for the season, and since then he's hitting three twenty two. That it's we, the the Astros were very much weathering, you know, a, a lot of storms and 
you know, they're they're still two and a half back in the division, but it's it's still you know, the, with, ideally with everything behind them. Obviously, Jose Abreu is going to be an ongoing issue, and then you know, you're you're just sort of relying on guys like Ronel Blanco, you know, to to get you through this long stretch of of games without a day off. Um, I think everyone sort of stepped up, you know, to this point in the season. Everyone is stepping up, and you know, Dusty. Last night moves to eighth place on the all-time managers win list. He he passes, uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry, in seventh place, he's got to catch Bucky Harris, who's up next on the all-time wins list as a skipper. I think he's done a masterful job, especially with not having Altuve and not having Brantley and uh, Brayu not really getting going. But you're right, and, and you, you bring up Bregs. And this is kind of Dusty's approach, right? And when everyone talks about Abreu being benched and, and Dawson has brought this up himself is, look, if you're still having this issue come July or August with Abreu, then you have to make a decision on what to do with him if you sit him or not. But Dusty's an old school guy. He's a lifetime baseball guy. He lets his guys bat out of their slumps. He's done it with Bregman. He's done it with Altuve. And he's going to do it here with Abreu. You just know this is going to be the approach. So as much as people may want to see Abreu sit, Dusty's old school. He's going to let him hit out of it. He is, and, and Jose Abreu has sort of earned the right to to hit his way out of the slump. The other the other part of it is okay. You're going to sit Abreu and put who at first base? There's no one at Triple A that's that's lighting it up there's there's no i mean yaner yaner diaz okay dubon has never played first base before he's got he got some work there before before a game but there's jose abreu has time because he has a three-year deal uh and he's you know 55 games into that three-year deal but there's no one there's not an obvious uh, option behind him, so he's going to have until he's going to have as much time as he needs because you know the the, the Astros aren't going to as 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 much as we talk about how Jim Crane is willing to open the wallet, he's not just going to eat fifty million dollars or forty million dollars or whatever it is you know because Jose Abreu hasn't looked good for for a couple months. Well, James, I promise I have a question that's about everything that we actually care about, about Leeds United in a minute, but I did want to give you one Astros question. <laughs> I was able to host Footnotes yesterday, and I actually did a little segment about the Astros' development of starting pitchers and how these guys have seemingly continued to come out of nowhere. And then, lo and behold, Ronel Blanco's first start last night goes pretty well. Now, I don't know if that's a sign of things to come, but how do they just continue to find guys and throw them on the bump for a start in a major league game and just continue to get successful outings no matter who it is? I think, I think that says a lot about the, the continuity on the coaching staff up and down the organization. Uh, and so, you know, he, Blanco got sent back. You know, he started with the Astros as a reliever this season. He got sent back down in early May to, to kind of get stretched out and, 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 and get his arm ready. And he even talked after the game last night about how you know, it, it wasn't so much a, a physical change, you know, going going to being a starting pitcher, but it was more of a mental change. Uh, and so something, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, he, he didn't he didn't strike out fourteen and, and five and a third, but but he did a job, and and I think that says a lot about how sort of cohesive the plan is, you know, from from the majors on down to the minors. Okay, so it's it's over, right? Like it, it happened. Leeds is heading down. Um, but I want to get your perspective as a fan here. So 
I'm assuming you're going to stay pretty locked in in whatever league they're playing in. Is that correct, or, or do you kind of uh, lay off of the uh, locked inness when when Leeds is playing in a lower league next season? No, I'm going to be I'm going to be yelling at my computer screen when it's on ESPN Plus and Leeds is playing freaking Swansea in the rain on a Tuesday. See, and no, I actually was thinking about this, and I got so excited, and I was almost like laughing to myself of the idea of like an Ohio State fan having to sweat out like a road game at Buffalo on a Tuesday night in the MAC if they were to get, <laughs> like. I wish we had this in college football or any other American leagues because it would just be hilarious to see like those fans have to then do that, like like an Alabama fan having to focus on a game at UAB in the middle of November. Oh man, I just wish it was true. University of Texas. You know, getting absolutely hyped uh, for for playing Stephen F. Austin. Uh, that would yes. be absolutely incredible. <laughs> yes, it, it reminds me of it reminds me of what I used to do in NCAA college football on PlayStation Two. Is that it's coming back? I would take over Tulane, <laughs> and I yeah. would make them so good that they would bump out Kentucky out of the SEC and invite me to the SEC. You know, Tulane has I, more I, SEC championships than a lot of SEC teams combined. That's right? correct. <laughs> I turned I turned Vanderbilt into an absolute powerhouse in college NCAA football 03. <laughs> We're talking with James Yasgo of the Lima Time Time podcast and Houston Chronicle contributor. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. So when is Lance McCullers Jr. going to be coming back? And Jose Urquidy going to be coming back? Urquidy before McCullers is my is my is my guess. Because Urquidy's Urquidy has started has started a throwing program. Um, McCullers, I, I made a little throwaway joke that the Astros are really slow walking this. Okay, fine. Lance McCullers had Tommy John surgery last year, like, and they're just delaying it just so they don't have to come out and say that. And now it's not as funny uh, because I'm starting to think I'm starting to think that it might be true. Um, McCullers has. I went through a little timeline of of McCullers sort of spring training and and his quote-unquote rehab process and it's just it's been a series of of one step forward three steps back or five or six steps back um and and i I know chandler rome from the athletic is pretty frustrated with the astros because they're just not saying anything about it uh and you know in in february they said it was a forearm strain then they said it was an elbow strain then it was a minor muscle strain nobody knows what is actually wrong with lance mccullers and why you know something that Oh yeah, he's, he'll be back in mid-April. You know, suddenly it's it's the beginning of June, and there is no timeline for for McCullers coming back. It's eerily similar to what's going on with Michael Brantley. Yeah, no, it, it, the yeah, he's hitting, he's hitting, he's with the team. He'll be activated on Monday. He, we don't know where he is. We have lost Michael Brantley. Secure the perimeter. Uh, Brantley has escaped out of a window uh, and hurt himself escaping out of the window. Uh, there's, it's, it's. I don't know why we're treating, why the Astros are treating injuries like that, like it's 1918, and you just you don't want to tell everyone you have the flu. <laughs> I was not ready for the flu pandemic reference in our conversation today, but yet here it is. Here we are, courtesy of our guy James Jasko. So I guess my question is: I think we've seen that they have enough young arms that are proving that they can fill the gaps left by the void of Lance McCullers, who they all thought was going to be part of the rotation and probably thought was going to be the number two or number three guy. And it doesn't look like he may pitch at all this year. Uh, 
do they have now they have the arms to handle that James do they have enough bats in the lineup and enough guys to fill the void left by Brantley possibly not playing this year um they're starting to it's starting to look like they do um you know when it if 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 again you know Jose Abreu is going to be a question mark but he's he's going to have some time um you know, if, if they figure that if McCormick continues to hit well, I think they're okay there. Um, we, we all know at this point that it's it's just get to October and then and then see what happens. Do, do the Astros have enough to make the playoffs right now? Yes. Do they have enough to to make another trip to the World Series? I I don't I don't know about that. James, we'll get you out of here with this. Dawson, do you have something? Some words of encouragement, possibly for James dealing with. The fact that Leeds has been regu- regulated down a level. Well, or- no, I've, I've just done, I've done this before. Like I, this is being out of the Premier League is is pretty normal. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's be- look. I I just I love the the concept. I think I would I would even then if I was a fan of a big time power conference team and they went down, I think I'd be more excited. I'd be like, wow, Florida State's playing North Florida today. I'm fired up for that. So what you're saying is that you're relishing in James Yasko's misery. I don't know. I might become a Leeds United fan at this rate. Like oh. I, mean, I, I, I want to see the, I want to see the rise. I want to see the come up. That's my thing with fandom. And like it's, I am, I'm a little less of an Astros fan now than I was when they were 50 and 102. I just loved, <laughs> I loved the struggle. So my final question to you, Mr. Yasko, is: Does your soccer team need a? a uh, very handsome movie star to come in and become owner of it to make it relevant again. Let me tell you what Leeds United owner has done this week. Uh, he did not attend the game that saw Leeds get relegated on Sunday. Instead, he was in Italy buying buying an Italian team. Uh, and it's come out in the last 24 hours that he used the stadium that Leeds United plays in as collateral for the loan to buy the Italian team. <laughs> so... So come on, come on, Dawson, come on board. Get in this dumpster with me. It is on fire, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a ride. I don't have a team that I root for in the English Premier League either. Maybe I should. Well, neither does James as of now. Oh. I don't either. Yeah. Oh, I, I did. I did, but there's not anymore. <laughs> James, thank you for your time, brother. <laughs> Y'all have a good weekend. I'm gonna go cry now. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, hey, this is the best time of year, George. It's, you know, school's out, it's hot. Uh, you've got something huge that you're playing for, something bigger than yourself that involves not just a team, but a, a university, a community, a region, a state. 
and uh, we can feel the love behind us, and uh, hopefully that will propel us all the way through this deal. Rachel Cajun skipper Matt Deggs. I agree with him. It's the best time of the year. Um, one of his reasons was that it's hot. I don't know if I would go with that being part of the reason it's the best <laughs> time of the year, but it is all part of that whole summer baseball type mentality, so yes. There we go. Do you feel the love? Because he says he feels the love. Oh, yeah. No, it's nothing but love. Yeah. Trendy pick, by the way. Oh, yeah. I've been seeing this last couple of days. Trendy pick as being one of the teams to pull off some upsets and win a regional as one of the lower seeds the Raging Cajuns yeah. are. I saw Ben Upton, and I know Ben Upton, who is on Crunch Time every once in a while. He was on, I think, yesterday, actually. Uh, he picked the Cajuns. I think he's got a little. I think he has a real soft spot for the Cajuns. So um, I don't, I'm, not, I'm trying not to take his pick. You know, I, I think there was a little bias involved in it is my point there. But yeah, no, it, not not the only expert to go with the Cajuns in their regional. Which I'm I'm not picking them, but I hope they I hope they win it. So I think it's one of those things. that's all about matchups. I think if they get past Texas. They have a great chance. Oh, and if you find a way to beat Lucas Gordon, who, by the way, was named a collegiate baseball first-team All-American, and it was announced by David Pierce that he's going to get the start today. So, Correct. If you're able to beat Lucas Gordon somehow, then then yeah, you're, you're right in the I think the path it clears up for them because I think Texas presents a bigger challenge to them than Miami does just based on the matchups. Not to, not to take anything away from the Hurricanes, but we saw the Hurricanes last year as the regional hosts get upset and lose their regional to the last team into the field, which was the Ole Miss Rebels, who would go on to win the national title. So Miami was at home last year, and it didn't matter, right? So that's part part of this. I think people are kind of wondering, okay, all right, Hurricanes, are you actually going to live up to your potential, play up to your potential? But I think Texas presents the biggest challenge for Matt Deggs' team and if they can get past them, Dawson, I like their chances. And Matt Deggs, speaking on that, actually talked about what the Texas Longhorns do well as a ball club. Well, they're Texas, right? And, you know, Dave, they're uh, well coached. David Pierce does a great job. Uh, Coach Rodriguez, their whole staff, uh, they, uh, they're not going to beat themselves. Uh, they're going to be able to pitch it, multiple pitches for strikes. They'll field it. Their stats are very similar to ours, uh, probably better in some respects. Uh, they're very dynamic offensively. And, uh, you know, see, we're just going to have to play our game. We're not going to be able to give them anything. going to have to fill it. going to have to reach base, figure out ways to move runners, and, and come up with big two-out knocks. I think it's going to be an immense challenge. And if you're the Cajuns, you're playing kind of with house money here. Because even though maybe someone like Ben Upton likes their chances to make a run and, and others do as well, you're the underdog here. All the pressure is going to be on the two other teams. Heck, all three teams in the regional have far more history, accolades, College World Series appearances than the Cajuns do. Right? So you are can kind of play a little loose here. The pressure is going to be on Miami for not to flame out in their own regional. The pressure is going to be on Texas to live up to the fact that they have Texas on their unis that's what it kind of boils down to for me so if the cajuns can go in there and look you obviously have to play well that goes without saying here you have to play very much up to your potential execute nearly perfectly to start winning games in regionals and then 
beyond that Super Regionals and then, of course, in Omaha. So that doesn't change anything. But I like their chances, D'Lo. I do. I like their chances. I think they have a good chance here, no, and, and, and they can make some noise. Now, not to say Miami and Texas don't also have this, but what the Cajuns have is a team full of guys that have been to a regional. Like, like not just have played in big games, but have been to a regional, have won a game in a regional, won the first game um, in College Station last year, and I think that certainly matters this time of year. We've actually heard Coach Glasgow just this week talk about the fact that you know, the fact that we weren't in a Super, this was the next step, and now next year this team's going to have been to a Super, and they're not going to feel a certain way when they get to that environment for the first time. And C.J. Willis, the senior, one of the senior leaders of this team, talked about how important it is to have a team that's experienced in these moments. Uh, it helps out a lot having the experience. Uh, I think we returned like 18 guys that all have been went to the regional last year, kind of saw what all needs to be done and what has to take place in order for us to be uh, successful and uh, it just helps to have those older guys to lead the new guys and the younger guys and show them the ropes and show them how things go on uh, trips like this because, uh, like you said, uh, this is a business trip. Um, we're trying to come back and hopefully get to a Super after. Look, I like their mentality. I like the fact that they fought their way in and got themselves in that large berth, which is a huge deal for this program. Last year they only got in because they won their conference tournament. This year they got in without winning the conference tournament. It shows you the progression of this program under Matt Deggs and where it's headed. And obviously, they'll put it on the line starting this afternoon. They'll be playing at 1 o'clock against Texas. That game will be going on. We'll have, obviously, LSU taking on Tulane. First pitch at 2 o'clock, live from Baton Rouge this afternoon. Of course, we'll have that game for you right here on the game. And before we take a timeout, uh, let's give some recognition. You had three Tigers named first-team All-Americans yesterday. And I'll give you a clue on, on who they were. You're going to be stunned to find out that Paul Skeens, <laughs> Dylan Cruz, and Tommy White were first-team All-Americans. <laughs> but, no, no one was surprised. But... All three earned first-team All-American honors from collegiate baseball. Skeens was also named as the National Player of the Year, which, of course, is a huge honor for him. So collegiate baseball names three Tigers, Tommy, Dylan, and Paul as All-Americans. In addition, let's give some love to the man over in Lake Charles, for the Meanies Cowboys because Mr. Rogers became the third player in history in Meanies Cowboys baseball history to earn a spot on the collegiate baseball All-American team. Grant Rogers was named a second team All-American by the prestigious publication, becoming the first Cowboy to do so since 2001. The back-to-back Southland Conference Pitcher of the Year went 12-1 on the season with an ERA of one82 he set a single-season record at McNeese and wins while finishing second nationally and third in earn run average. Man, wouldn't it be cool if McNeese could just loan Grant Rogers out to the Cajuns or LSU this weekend? Like, couldn't both of those teams use a guy? <laughs> they could, yeah, they could. Uh, they could definitely uh, use a guy of his caliber to help them with their pitching staff. So, congratulations to those young men for those uh, prestigious honors. What we got coming up after the timeout, D'Lo? 
Well, we're going to talk uh, more Coral Gables Regional, actually, and but get a preview from a uh, different perspective. We'll talk to Vish Pertusurman from the uh, Miami Hurricanes, from a Miami Hurricanes blog called Sebastian's Pub, and he will kind of give us the perspective. How are the host teams feeling about this? Maybe he'll have some more insight on how the weather's going to go in Miami this weekend because that's been something I've been kind of worried about. I know Foot's probably just pacing in his hotel room right now. About he is. That. He's pacing right now. As we speak, we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into RP3 and Company on this Friday baseball regional preview edition of the show. We've been getting you set for a lot of the different regionals around the country and focusing, of course, on the Coral Gables and Baton Rouge Regional. And now to talk more about that Coral Gables Regional is a guy who covers the Miami Hurricanes, Vishnu Parasuraman, who is a columnist for Five Reasons Sports covering the Miami Hurricanes and also the editor for Sebastian's Pub. Vish, uh, good morning. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Exciting day. Absolutely. And so this Miami team, look, they are no strangers to postseason college baseball success and hosting regionals. They've uh, one of the more storied programs in the history of college baseball. But so how has the team been this year? What has been the overall mindset and kind of mentality as they've navigated their way through the ACC and here into postseason play? Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of an uneven season. Um, started off a little slow, a lot of injuries on the pitching staff. So it's only started to come together last month or so. It's been a, been rockier than, 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 than Miami usually expects, which is kind of funny because they ended up almost in the same place, just, just outside the national seed host. But... Yeah, really only one starting pitcher that's healthy and reliable, um, and they've kind of just pieced it together and won enough games to, to be here, but it's not been your traditional Miami team where you have three or four really top-end pitchers, and, and it's been a lot of home runs and, and kind of slugging games out, pulling games out at the end, and, and a lot of uh, nail-biters. Well, so I wanted to ask you just that about some of the ERAs. I've been kind of talking throughout the week about this time of the year, you know, when, when people are then looking at teams they don't cover often and then looking at stat sheets, they could be a little bit deceiving. The Cajuns, you know, ace coming into this tournament's a guy whose ERA is over six, and a lot of that's because of early season struggles. Is that kind of the case for some of these Miami pitchers? Are they trending in the right direction, or is this truly going to be a situation where they're going to try and outscore you? Uh, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, so yeah, the ERAs are high because they're they're somewhat accurate. Um, so Miami's actually decided to go with their ace today against Maine, which is something that they traditionally have not done. I think just to try and secure that win, because frankly, I don't think the other pitchers they necessarily trust. Um, the the prior ace is probably going to go on Saturday, so if they play Louisiana, it'll probably be Carson Ligon. He's been injured. Uh, and just came back and pitched in the ACC tournament for the first time in a couple of months. So he'll probably be on a pitch count. It has been bullpen by committee from there. Um, one of Miami's pitchers, Alejandro Rosario, has he throws in the high 90s. He'll hit 98, 99 on the radar gun and just gets battered. It's almost bizarre. His spin rate isn't good, but you see the, the kid ripping it in there, and then you see it coming back at him even faster. So 
Um, so that's there's been some disappointments like that. But I do think at, at, towards the end of the season, when the team started playing better, they have kind of settled on a way to piece it together. So Gage Zill will go against Maine today. He's definitely your innings either the guy that they expect a strong start out of. And then from there, it's there's three or four bullpen arms, and, and who I think is the best closer in the country, Andrew Walters, can go multiple innings. So it's really just getting the game to him. You know, in the seventh, he sometimes comes in the seventh. Will certainly come in the eighth if needed, and uh, and then he tends to shut people down and just carry it over the finish line. But it has been a bit of committee, and those those ERAs are pretty accurate, to be honest. Like they're not, it's, they're pitching a little bit better now, but but it's it, it has been a lot of high scoring games. Well, a little bit bigger picture about the regional in general. We've been kind of following the weather reports. Now, I know Miami is a place that is no stranger to, you know, some tropical weather patterns here. Is there a legitimate concern about getting these games in throughout the weekend, or is this a situation where they might have to deal with some rain delays, but all in all, shouldn't be any issues getting these games in? Yeah, no, I think they'll get the games. And I actually will say last year, uh, the tropical weather actually blew over Miami. It looks like this year it's going to kind of be west of us in the Gulf. So that'll help because so Miami this time of year is thunderstorm, then sun, then thunderstorm, then sun. So I, I would be shocked if everything goes off on time. <laughs> but but there, there does appear to be plenty of gaps in the weather uh, to, to get the games. And the one concern, or I guess the one thing that could extend some of these delays, although I still think they'll get everything in, is uh, Florida, This is a, I don't know if this is a common knowledge everywhere, but Florida as a state has the most lightning strikes of the country of people getting hit by lightning, so we're very sensitive to that. There's lightning alarms all over campus, which is where the stadium is, and if one of those trips, automatic 30-minute delay, um, and then every time it trips, you reset the timer. So if there's like weather in the area, often games get delayed when it's not even raining because um, the, the alarm trips off. So that's something to be a little bit, that might be a little bit frustrating. I've been sitting out there where it's sunny and the game is delayed because the lightning alarm trips. So uh, just the... Uh, nature of the beast there but i do think they'll definitely be able to get the game and they do a good job like you said we're no stranger to this do a good job of uh of uh piecing it together and getting the games out last year they lost friday and combined and played a triple header on sunday to catch up so they'll get through it vish this is raymond parch brother thank you for making the time uh last year hurricanes were national seed they were the hosts and obviously they ended up getting upset in their own regional, and Ole Miss win, won that regional and then would go on to win the College World Series. How much has that disappointment from last year played a role in their preparation, and do you believe how things went down last year is going to make them change their approach to attacking a regional weekend this time around? Yeah, it's a, it's a good, good question. Um, I think it already did. Because uh, I don't think so. Last year, we uh, Gino Damari did shuffle the rotation. He went with the he, he held the ace back for Saturday. That's kind of the way the traditional Miami approach. This year, he just set it up as if it was a normal weekend. Got the ace going on Friday, and then as I said, they've been kind of hole staffing it. So I think he changed his pitching approach to try and I guess keep them in their comfort zone. Because and last year it was very disjointed. You mentioned. Ole Miss was the last team in the tournament, came into Coral Gables, won that regional, and then won the national championship. But for Miami, since everything got delayed, like I mentioned, my weather, they played Saturday, their first game, won. So they're in the winner's bracket Sunday morning. They lost to, to Ole Miss by one run, Arizona by one run, season over on Sunday. So it kind of abruptly ended. So I do think they've adjusted approach. I think they're also... Um, 
I think last year was kind of a smooth ride to a national seed, and they weren't really as challenged. I think, frankly, they got hit in the face on that Sunday and did not respond well. And I think this team has grown out of that. They've had a lot of comebacks. They've been a lot more locked in, and they're playing a lot better now at the end of this year. They actually, despite getting a national seed last year, they got mercy ruled in the in the ACC tournament. Their last game before the regionals, Wake Forest beat them 17-3, to I believe was the score. Um, so they weren't exactly playing well going into a – Going into regionals this year, they made the ACC tournament championship game, played really well last week in Durham. So I think they're in a better place. And then also, yeah, definitely the approach has been adjusted. He's kept the rotation the way it normally would be on a weekend. I think create that comfort level. So they just play play a little looser. On paper, obviously Miami is the host. They should be the one favored here. But this regional from an outsider's perspective is stacked. The Cajuns went on a great run in their conference tournament. They're coming off a regional appearance last year. Maine is a traditional rich program that was one of the best in the 80s, and they won their conference tournament to get in. And, of course, Texas is the regular season champ of the Big 12, and they're one of the greatest programs of all time as well, along with Miami and LSU, among others. Just how difficult, from your perspective, is this regional going to be? It's going to be a tough one. I think it's much closer to a toss-up than, than people realize. Like you mentioned, all four teams can play. Miami and Maine actually have a recent history. They've been scheduling series together uh, since about 2013. So they've played three series together uh, down in Coral Gable. So there's been a history there. And I think they played 10 games in total because of some rainouts. But, um, yeah, Maine won a couple of games, and it just takes one. That's this time of year. And then, as you mentioned, Texas has probably the best starting pitching um, and has two really high-end arms. And, you know, if you win those first two games, you have a huge advantage. So they're potentially positioned to that. And then Louisiana, I mean, the way they attack the base paths, that's just so awkward to play against in a one-game situation. No one really plays that way. We're just constantly stealing. And I think it's going to be a challenge for anyone if Louisiana gets runners on base, trying to, like, even just play against that style. So such a contrast across the board. It's, I think it's a, it's a really... It's probably the, it's one of the deeper regionals, a lot of tradition, as you said, and a lot of talent. Um, I was pleased Louisiana got into the tournament. I know they were one of the last ones in, but they definitely earned it throughout the season. And you know their RPI was a little bit lower because of the conference, but I think they're they're I think they're a lot better than last four in quality. So this is going to be a very tough regional. And yeah, I think anyone I would be surprised if Maine wins it because they just don't have the pitching. I think to get that far and, and win that many games. They could certainly upset Miami today, though. So, so the Canes better be on the lookout. But I think it's I think that Texas Louisiana game is going to be fascinating, and I think anyone could win this. It's very competitive. Well, Vish, want to get you out of here with a with a more broad question and just how this Miami team is going to approach this. If if they're to hold serve and on Sunday be or maybe Monday be holding the regional championship trophy, uh, what will they have done? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is actually tonight. They need they need a strong start out of Gage Zeal, who's the, who's the ace who can eat a lot of innings, and that way they don't have to use the bullpen up. Because I think the goal from there is to use Andrew Walters as much as possible over the last two to three days. Um, so they need they need Zeal to eat innings. They don't have to use their top bullpen arms because they're going to lean on them the rest of the weekend. So they get a strong start today, and then the idea would be to get tomorrow's game whether it's against Louisiana or Texas, assuming they win the first one, into um, into the sixth or seventh inning with the lead, let Walters take it home, and then and then that, that is the way, that is the path forward. If they have to start using their top bullpen arms today, 
I think the pitching will run out, which it did in the ACC tournament as well. They kind of ran out in the seventh inning against Clemson in the last game. It just got battered, gave up eight, an eight spot. So I think that that's probably the, the key to them is, is a start tonight. Well, Vish, we appreciate your time and coming on to, to preview this regional force, and um, hopefully it's a fun one. Thanks for coming on. Yep, thanks, thanks for having me. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Poll question of the day. How do you feel about the SEC playing just eight conference games in 2024? They made the decision. It wasn't even really all that close, by the way. Overwhelmingly, they decided to stay with eight games, eight conference games, if you will, for 2024. That'll be the first season that Oklahoma and Texas will be part of the conference. Right now, 50% of you say it's not a big deal. 28% say it's really weak. 22% of you say it's kind of weak. Hart says, if the SEC is so adamant about being the dominant conference, which let's be real, they are, it shouldn't be an issue to play top opponents every week. I'm less likely to watch a full game if it's LSU versus Pee Wee football team. It's a good comment. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, if they are also scheduling top opponents, then it really does not matter at all. That's the problem. They're not. That's that's the problem. They're not. Now, once again, Dawson and I came up with a simple solution here, and it's not one that they'll ever do, but... It's maybe not as simple as we'd like it to be either, but simple in theory. You do... You just do a rotation, right? You play one of the other Power 5 conferences that season and then you play two of the group of fives there you go done you can even do two and one in certain rotations especially if it's if it's a lesser power and mix it up and mix it up here right you could do big 12 american sunbelt one year the next year it could be big 10 mac in conference usa like it it, mix it up Uh, you could still have your little sisters of the poor game if you want to whenever you go to, say, playing nine conference games and you're like, well, we still want to have Alabama versus Mercer. (laughs) Let's make sure that's a a priority. Okay, if you want to play the bloodbath games, as I call them, where you pay the opponent a million dollars to come and get whooped up by 70 points, okay, then you shorten the rotation. Then you say you keep one of those games and then your other two non-conference games are against, one of them can be against a Power 5 opponent. And the other one can be against a group of five opponent. Done. Do a rotation. Yeah. Done. Easy. You know, I think we forgot to mention something pretty pretty important this morning. Do you know what the significance of, outside of it being the opening day for regionals, uh, which is a great day in, in America, um, do you know what today is uh, representative of? 
um, we're getting closer and closer to my wife's birthday. Yes, but also it's National Donut Day. How about that? Now oh. I know you're on the diet. I am so on the diet on the... plan. I can't be enjoying right. National but maybe, Donut Day. I don't day. know. There's not. There's there's got to be some sort of you know low fat <laughs> vegan type donut option these days that tastes good. They they got oh, everything. I'm I'm sure the vegan donut would taste delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, no. I saw that on the on the bottom of the computer. It has you know little relevant things sometimes. Yesterday it had something about the NBA Finals. Today National, National donut, donut Day. Yep. Our guy Kevin, I don't think enjoys donuts. I don't think he's a big donut guy. Can you believe that? Well, he doesn't like icing on his pop tarts. I mean, well, actually, I'll take that back. He said it's either way. The, the fans of Footnotes hate icing on the pop tarts. They think it's horrible. Which I don't under. It, it's fine. It's just sugar. I don't know why you would hate it, but um, that's been discussed. He doesn't like chocolate inexplicably i mean chocolate chips in a cookie he says are bad i don't so i don't know if we're gonna really and i know he's probably listening at this point because we're about to have him on in the next segment but um he also believes in the piper well yeah i mean he i think he invented it you know what i mean that might be what this is it's like his frankenstein he created it so he's gonna go down with it you know what i mean he's committed he's committed to it now he's in a long-term relationship with the piper Oh, we will get a, a donut take from foot in the next segment. Don't worry. Yes, we will. We got to take a timeout. Hour number two is in the books. Hour number three. We're going to kick it off with Kevin foot as he's down in Miami for the Coral Gables regional. We'll get a preview of the raging Cajuns perspective. That's next right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The third and final hour of today's show and of the week has arrived. Don't be sad, though. We still got some quality content on deck for you, as I am the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts. The third, better known as RP3, joining me live inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, is the producer extraordinaire, the five-tool player of the game, the Mike Trout of the game, Dawson Iserlo. Well, that's just... High honor there, but again, I, and I made this joke, and now that he's on the line, I'll make it again. If you were saying that to Kevin Foote, he would take that as an insult because he doesn't think Mike Trout's a good baseball player. <laughs> or he's just not a good baseball player when he faces the Astros, which there, there, there's some truth to that. Oh, man. Louisiana Raging Cajuns gearing up for the Coral Gables Regional down in Miami. The Hurricanes are the host. The Raging Cajuns, though, are the three seed. They'll take on the two seed, the Texas Longhorns. That'll be this afternoon at 1 o'clock. And to give us a Raging Cajuns perspective on what's going to happen down there outside of South Beach is the man who's host of Footnotes, also the Raging Cajuns reporter columnist for the Acadiana Advocate, our good friend, the man who believes in the Piper, Kevin Foote, joins us now. Footsie, good morning. How is South Florida treating you right now? 
The skies are blue right now, but before we get to that, I got to believe that Dawson hit higher than 195 with runners in scoring position when he played at, played at Hayden's Academy. <laughs> That's I, I trust that he hit higher than 195 with runners in scoring position. That's a great answer to that to that whole conversation. That is. That is. That is <laughs> my man's ready. My man's on point. All right, brother. Uh, look, this regional is absolutely stacked. Uh, I know Miami is the national seed, and they have a ton of history, but uh, the four teams combined have 71 trips to the College World Series, 10 national championships, and eight national runner-ups. You have two of the heaviest hitters in baseball history in this regional. Texas went to the College World Series a year ago. And Miami is right there along there with them. And Maine was one of the best teams in the 1980s. They get to go uh, back to a regional for the first time in a long time. And the Cajuns are coming off going to a regional last season as well. Just how tough and daunting is this regional going to be for whoever is playing in it? Well, historically, I mean, I guess I didn't examine all 16 regions with that in that mindset. But historically, it's got to be the best. Now, uh, or pretty close to it for sure. Um, now, you know, well, it seems to me, and again, I haven't watched him. I'm just looking at stats. It seems to, and hearing what coaches are saying about him, that Texas is a little better offensively than they are sometimes. That's a little scary. We know how good Miami uh, statistically is offensively almost always. And so, it, you know, I, I don't know how the Cajuns are going to match up. And it looks like this main team, you know, anytime you face a team that had never, well, this, you know, they, they've been to a regional, but it, it, it's been 12 years since they've been in a regional. So obviously no one having to do with this program right now has been there. Uh, it's kind of like when the Cajun softball team faced Omaha was their first time. And you kind of figure they would look like a first time team team. And they kind of did. So, but Maine's got some pretty good numbers, so no, I think, I think some of the first things you heard when it came it was a good regional, and it's a good regional in that you're not playing, you know, Wake Forest or LSU. I think that's why a lot of people thought, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and I don't think it's easy at all. No, they start off with Texas, and I argue that may be their biggest hurdle of this entire regional is playing the Longhorns, who are going to be throwing their ace today. But we got some news that. A couple of their key arms in the bullpen will not be going in this regional. What's going to be the key today for the Raging Cajuns when they take on the Longhorns? Well, they've got to do the opposite of what the softball team did is they, they and what the Angels, the little MVPs, did last night. When they get runners in scoring position, they've got to try to find a way to move runners, which is the strength of their team. I mean, they're really good at manufacturing runs and scoring runs without needing but you know, a home run or, or an extra base hit. Uh, they they are among the national leaders in sacrifice flies. We all know how much they run and they bunt, and so they're going to need to do that. The problem with Texas is they're just as good. Like their fielding percentage is nine eighty, and the Cajuns are nine eighty two. So they're like these are two of the best defensive teams in the country, and um, you know, Texas also has the ability to hit and and then. Like you said, Lucas Garden is six and one with a two fifty five. So, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a tough chore. But you know, 
They last year, year ago at this time, they were playing the the Big Twelve champion TCU, and they they beat them seven to six in in, in the first game. And then, uh, unfortunately, the Cajuns' best relief pitcher Bo Bonds kind of blew out his elbow in the last inning there, trying to close that win out. And it didn't go very well after that, uh, although they competed well against the Aggies. But no, they've got to take advantage of their offensive opportunities for sure because it's going to be tough to pitch. Well, Kevin, my first question for you might be the most important. It's National Donut Day. Are you a fan of donuts in general? And if so, do you have a favorite donut? Uh, I mean, obviously, I've eaten many donuts in my life. But, you know, I'm more of a cake donut, cinnamon donut. Obviously, I'll eat a glaze or I'll eat a chocolate. But if if I have an option, I will not choose those. I'm more of a, you know, like I like, when I get a cupcake, I take the icing, throw it in the trash, and eat the cake. So I'm more of a cake donut guy. I love the cinnamon <laughs> donut. Um, that, that's that's kind of where I I fall on that. But yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's that's an acceptable answer. I was just hoping you weren't going to just trash on donuts this morning because um, that wouldn't have been great. But moving on to the to the regional, uh, we actually just talked to Vish Parasurman, who is a uh, Miami Hurricanes. Uh, editor and and covers that team and and he mentioned something interesting which is that Miami's throwing their ace against Maine today uh, and they're kind of going backwards because and he mentioned part of the reason they're doing that might be because last year Ole Miss went in there and beat them so Miami is trying to I guess change up their approach but he also mentioned they don't have a ton of starting pitching depth the more I look at it I I really think Texas might be the overall most complete team in the regional and and like We've been kind of mentioning, I, I think this first game is now even more big than I thought it was before because if you're able to get past it, I'm not saying you're going to beat Miami, but I think you have a much better chance. No, I agree. And when you, when you first said that, what he said, my, the first thought that went into my head, yeah, but how big of a difference is there really between their one and their two and their one and their three? Obviously, on statistically anyway, their best pitcher is their closer, So, but they got to get to that situation first. Um so yeah, I you know again in Maine's, you know it, it's hard you know how it is it's hard to tell when you the American East how good of a conference it is and, you know we we're just guessing there but their starting pitchers look pretty good I mean you know the, their ERAs are in the fours but that's pretty much all of college baseball with a few exceptions but you know they they um, the one thing I'll say about Maine's pitchers is they all walk a lot of batters. So if they go down here when they play Miami today and they walk four, five, six batters uh, with with the amount of home runs and and extra base power Miami has, they're going to have a problem. So, you know, they all have 40-something walks in about 60 to 70 innings. So that's that's a little too high on the walk side. So they're going to need to do a better job. But, I mean, one of them, you know, only opponents are only hitting 200 against them. None of them give up a ton of hits. And so – I think they're pretty good pitchers, so they're going to need to cut down on the walks. But I agree with you. Texas, on paper, clear-cut, the most complete, well-rounded team. But, we've all, you know, there are upsets every year. I mean, on paper, Ole Miss wasn't supposed to beat Miami last year like you just referred to. So, we'll see. Specifically with how the Cajuns and Matt Deggs is going to handle the pitching rotation this weekend, we know it's going to be Jackson Nezu to start tonight, but – what do you envision him going to? Do you think he goes straight to a guy like Cooper Rawls tonight? Uh, maybe thinking about getting it to JT Etheridge at the end, but like, how do you think he's going to piece this together, at least in an ideal situation where Nezu gives you at least, let's say, five or six innings? 
you know, he's kind of gone, started just about a month ago. I think, you know, we all know how important this first game is. And so I, I would, if they get a lead, you know, in the fifth inning, in the sixth inning, I mean, he's going to throw what he needs to throw to win today's game. And he's going to, you know, Fluno's going to start tomorrow unless something really weird happens. But, um, Either way, but no, I, I agree with you. I, 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 it would not surprise me if he does like a five-four, six-three, especially if they score some runs and have a lead, and 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 and, and try to get five or six out of Jackson and, and, and finishing out with Cooper because you know he's going to do what he needs to do to win this game. I mean, obviously, this it would be huge. Now they won the first game last year and it didn't work out because part of that was because of injuries, but still. Um, you got you got to try to put yourself in that position. We're talking with the legend Kevin Foot, host of Footnotes, also the Acadiana Advocates number one Raging Cajun beat reporter slash columnist. He's down in South Beach enjoying himself. You know he's a man that loves to be having fun in the sun, and you know all the beautiful people on South Beach. Kevin would fit right in. He joins us here on RP Three and Company. <laughs> all right bud a yeah. uh, serious question this team is kind of playing with house money right uh, they, they made a great run they got into a regional as an at-large that's a huge deal for this program Matt Deggs has this program ascending what do they need to do what's the biggest thing for them the biggest key for them to be able to kind of play spoiler here and be able to do the impossible and win this regional? I just, I mean, I'd like to say they're going to be able to pitch like they did in Montgomery. It's just hard for me to believe they're going to be able to pitch quite that well. Like last year when they, uh, you know, they pitched really well against Texas in the in the Summer Conference Tournament last year. Jacob Schultz had that historic performance against Texas State. They pitched pretty well in the other games, and yet they won 7-6. to six. So I think they're going to have to score runs. And they're going to, you know, it was you're not going to score runs every game. And so, you know, they scored 12 runs in the first game in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And then after that, they were having to win more low-scoring games. And so they're, I think they're going to need to score runs. They're going to have to play good defense like they normally do. Can't give up anything. But I, I mean, I'll be surprised if they if they win like three to one or three to two. Uh, I think if they win, it's gonna it's gonna have to be more like a seven to six game. But you know, especially if I'm not seeing this ballpark yet, I'm gonna be going to it in a few hours. But Coach Deggs would play there, and he says it's a really offensive ballpark. So I, I just have trouble believing, um, you know, as hot as it's gonna be and as nervous as everybody's gonna be, that it's gonna be a real low scoring game. But we'll see. Get you out of here with this, brother. Uh, you know, we asked you some tough questions, but this is the the most important question we're going to ask you this morning, and maybe the most important question you've been asked all week. Are you ready? I think so. All right. Your boy Dawson, our guy, D'Lo, filled in for you yesterday, and there's a possibility that he may have to fill in again for you early next week based on your travel plans. Are you concerned at all? about you being Wally Pip here? Well, that is, that is all certainly a concern. I'll notice, though, that he never he didn't tell me what his batting average was at runners in score position his senior year at Ames Academy. 
We need to pull the numbers up, but I'll tell you it was higher than 195 for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly always a concern, no question, especially – the, the only thing, if he if he if he could if he had embraced the Piper just a little bit more, then I'd really be concerned. You don't have any reason for concern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, foot! Uh, have fun down there, brother. Uh, the sky's be careful. blue right now. I mean, really, I see a cloud every once in a while, but for the most part, I hope it stays. I don't know that it's going to stay this way all day, but at least long enough to get all the games in. But the skies are blue right now. The skies are blue. Hopefully, it'll be a good weekend for the Raging Cajuns. Enjoy your trip, brother. We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right. Take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Coming up, we'll have our third guest concerning the Coral Gables Regional. We tried to get a fourth, but we're not for sure anyone covers the main baseball team. We're not for sure. Wow, we we can't be taking shots like that. <laughs> I'm not taking shots at oh, the baseball man. program. I'm taking shots at the state of journalism, possibly in the state of Maine. You know, Maybe so. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be someone left over from that big 80s run that's still, you know. Big main baseball fan and big main big main baseball fan.org. We should have checked that out. But Zachary Sim will be joining us from what's the website again? Orangebloods.com. Orangebloods.com. He knows those Texas Longhorns. Hook 'em horns. We'll get a perspective from them. I believe they're the favorite to win that regional. That's how uh, I feel. From, from this morning's conversations, I've gone over to that side as well. I was thinking Miami beforehand, but I actually do think Texas is the most complete team and I, I I'm not going to say it's not close, but like Miami's going to have to outslug Texas and or the Cajuns to win this regional, especially based on the confidence in their pitching staff that we heard from a guy who covers the team and knows them better than any of us by Correct. a lot. So I liked Texas to win this, and I think this is going to be one of the most the, the tougher regionals. And I want to continue our conversation because you've mentioned this. We sprinkled it in throughout this week, and you've done some deep dive because this is – almost like a holiday for you. You mentioned the Stillwater Regional as one of the toughest ones. I, I brought up Fayetteville's being one of those ones as well. Obviously, Coral Gables, I think, is going to be a tough regional. Of the regionals, where do you think the biggest, where do you think is going to trend for upsets? Because I've long said, since we got the regional pairings on Monday, I look at the two Alabama teams from the SEC that are hosting as two teams that should be on upset alert for yeah. this weekend. Well, and 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 I talked I did a little segment yesterday, well, two segments actually on superlatives kind of giving titles to different regionals. I thought that initially about Auburn, um but like Auburn's playing really really well right now. And I think sometimes that matters a lot this time of year. Just think about Ole Miss, right? They put it together at the right time. 
Um, so I have a couple for you. I, I think the the regional that I voted the most likely for the number three seed to win, I called it the three is a magic number regional, is actually Conway. I just think Coastal's not playing their best baseball right now. I think Southern Miss is a better, more complete team, despite Coastal being the regional host site in the top 10 seed. Um, and then the two seed in that regional, Duke, isn't playing well at all either. Duke lost six of their last seven games, including a midweek loss to Gardner-Webb, who's outside the top 150 in RPI. So UNCW's the three seed there. They were a team that was actually going to be a bubble team regardless. They ended up winning the Colonial Athletic Conference uh, Northeastern also got in from that conference, so a two-bid league. The Colonial was kind of sneaky good this year. They come in winning six in a row. They went 4-1 and one against Northeastern, who won 44 games throughout the season. And UNCW has something in common with Coastal, and that's that they played a gauntlet of a midweek schedule. They played Wake Forest in the midweek. They played East Carolina. They played NC State. They played a bunch of really, really good teams in the midweek that kind of just makes you a little bit more battle-tested. So I think UNCW, that's actually my pick to win the Conway Regional as a number three seed. See, uh, a couple of teams that I like to win a regional that they're not hosting. I really, really like Campbell to win the Columbia Regional. Yeah, it was. It, it's certainly consideration. A team that thinks they were uh, slighted a bit as well, thinks that Correct. they probably should have hosted themselves. I like a team that has a little bit of the chip on their shoulder because of that. gives them a little bit more motivation. i tell you another team that somewhat underperformed this year, and I know – People don't like them because they became the villains of college baseball last year. Tennessee is a team to kind of keep an eye on. They're in that Clemson regional, and this is not to take anything away from Clemson, who's a national seed. But we've seen this before, haven't we, with teams that are the number one ranked team and they don't make it to Omaha, they don't win a college World Series, and then the next year they're a little undervalued. And what happens? They make runs, and sometimes they win the national title. Oregon State has done that. So I'm not saying I believe Tennessee can do that. I just, they're intriguing to me because they had all the heat last year, right? Right. They had all the heat. They wanted all the smoke last year, and it blew up in their face. They were a little bit humbled. They struggled this year in stretches. Look, they're only 38 and 19, but. I don't know. They, they feel like a dangerous team to me. No, and, they and just I, do. I like the point that you bring up there, and it actually is a, kind of a direct comparison, in my opinion, to one of my favorites back in the NCAA basketball tournament this year, and that was Gonzaga. I thought Gonzaga this year coming in had so much less pressure on them when they Correct. were the one seed with Chet, and they were supposed to win it all the year before. I felt like, man, they came back, Drew Timmy. They're still really good, but they're a three seed. They're a little under the radar. I think Tennessee's a good comparison for that. Now... Clemson's Clemson's been playing really really good ball, so that's Once I again, almost think they got a tough draw there. Yeah, that's There's like I said, Clemson. Places, yeah, Clemson's been playing great. There's some other places they could have went where I'd feel more strongly about it, but I would not be shocked to see Tennessee win a regional this year with the pressure off, and then try to go make some noise in the Super. By the way, if Tennessee were to get past that, they'd be matched up with that Auburn Southern Miss situation. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't the worst draw either as far as getting to a super. So if you want to talk about a dark horse potential Omaha team, if you're just sitting there looking at the path they have to take. Uh, now, obviously Clemson's a, a big kind of block in the road there, but they do have an opportunity. Quickly about that Auburn regional, that's another thing I talked about yesterday. I think it's maybe the uh, the regional where all four teams are so red hot right now. I called it something. the something has to give regional. Uh, nobody in this regional has lost a series since April 23rd. <laughs> so none of these teams lost a series in the month of May oh, at all. Man. 
None of them lost, you know, any significant number of games. Like, even Penn, who's the four seed in that regional, they've lost two series all season. One was to Harvard, Harvard and one was to, I almost said Harvard. Harvard. Like I'm from Boston. But one was to Harvard and one was to South Carolina. That's the only two series that Penn's lost as a number four seed coming in. So that Auburn regional, Sanford's been playing well as well. Mm-hmm. They haven't lost a series in a long time. Um, I still think Auburn wins it just because of how hot they are. But Southern Miss, look, and by the okay. way, Southern Miss is going to throw Tanner Hall today. That was announced. Um, that's interesting. And, Southern and again, Miss when you're has been seeding, pretty hot as well, though. Yeah, no, and and they and look, they beat the Cajuns without going back to Tanner Hall. Nico Mazza looked Correct. really good, and Justin Storm looked outstanding. So it's I not see. to say they don't have a chance, but that's part of the difficulties of being a two seed sometimes. There's occasionally a situation when you're a four seed and you play a team that's not great. You get an opportunity to, to, to kind of throw, you know, which I expect LSU not to throw skeins today, right? But Southern Miss is playing a really, really good Sanford team, as I just mentioned. So they said, no, we got to throw Tanner Hall today. We can't take any chances. Can't so take any chances. Saw, and that's apparently what Miami's going to do as well. Watch out for Boston College in the Tuscaloosa Regional. That's a team that many then, thought were going to host. Yeah, I was going to say another didn't. team that feels like they should have hosted. I know Bama's played far better since they had to fire their coach for allegedly gambling on his own team. And it's a great story. I, it felt like a little bit of a reach for me to have them host a regional. They felt more like a number two seed than they did the 16th best team in the country. Because I don't think they are that. Uh, Boston College, though, is going to have something to say. And that's going to be dangerous. Also, Wake Forest, they're the number one overall seed. We know that is the kiss of death when it comes to winning national championships in modern college baseball. They better watch out in the Supers. Like, I just, whether that's Alabama or Boston College, that could be, because that's who they're paired up with, that could be a problem. The other one, because I spent time in the Midwest and I actually had my junior prom in Terre Haute, Indiana, the Terre Haute Regional is the most wide open of all of them to me because Indiana State has had a great year. The Sycamores, the Fighting Leary Birds, as I like to call them, but they have Iowa and North Carolina in their regional. Like, that is yeah. – that's brutal. That's and, another three seed there in UNC. It's just – I don't even know if it's as – UNC's in a down year. Like, they're not as good as they've it's been. It's a but down year, but – They're used to winning regionals. Correct. They're not and they have experience, and that matters. And that matters. The last one that I'll kind of give you um, from a recap of from my superlative segment, I don't know if you were listening yesterday, um, it was – Of course I was. It, it, it was a it was a title that I did. I think it's maybe the the biggest title. It was the most likely to certainly have hotel quality linens in a dorm room situation for the teams <laughs> attending, and that award, of course, unequivocally went to the Lexington Regional. Who, by the way, we found out further makes them even look even worse that they could have put them in in other dorms, but some of the dorms are outsourced by a company, so they wouldn't they weren't going to make as much money off of it. So Kentucky opted to put them in dorm rooms that they technically own so they could charge more money. <laughs> Good job, Wildcats. <laughs> what a train wreck. Oh, we'll talk more college baseball regionals with Zachary Sim, who joins us talking Texas Longhorns. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 
1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. We are continuing to try and get you prepared for the Coral Gables Regional. We've already talked about Miami baseball earlier in the show. We did our best to preview on on Maine as well. Um, but now we're going to talk about the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns' first opponent of the regional, and that's the Texas Longhorns. They will face Texas at 1 o'clock, the 3-2 matchup. And to talk more about that, we have Zachary Sim from OrangeBloods.com. Zachary, good morning to you, and how are you? Hey, good morning, guys, and doing great. Happy to be here in Coral Gables and looking forward to a great baseball game today. Well, we certainly expect it to be that. And this Texas team, you know, we've kind of talked about it throughout the week. No stranger to success in the world of college baseball. One of the real blue blood programs. Um, But they find themselves in a bit of a different situation this time around as a number two seed in the regional. However, you know, my co-host and myself, we kind of think they might be the most complete team, even over the host team in Miami. So what are your thoughts about this overall Texas team? Yeah, I think this Texas team has a lot of the pieces, right? You look at their starting rotation. Um, you look at some of the offensive leaders they have, and they've, they've got a really solid group of um, teammates. It's, uh, for them, it's all about consistency. Can they do everything well at the exact same time? Because there's been times this year where they haven't put all the pitching together on the back end and the bullpen, and then there's been times where their hitting has gone a little quiet. So, you know, overall, I think it's a, it's a really strong regional. In fact, I think it's one of the strongest regionals when you look at Louisiana's body of work. You look at the obviously the talent and the body work by Miami. So, yeah, it should be a really good series. Well, Zach, you tweeted out a few days ago uh, that David Pierce announced that a couple of key relievers, Heston Toll and David Shaw, were both ruled out. One's a right-hander, one's a left-hander, and they both kind of threw some big innings for for you guys this year. How big is that heading into a regional situation? It's massive, right? So regional, you're looking at a minimum of three games. Um, But that's often not how it goes. And so when you look at the – the pitching depth required to get out of a regional. Texas losing those two guys, and they had a guy transfer out that pitched uh, 22 innings for them or 24 innings for them. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a concern. They're going to be leaning very heavily on Lucas Gordon and, and LeBaron Johnson Jr., their starters, to go deep in the game and try to bulk some innings out of guys that maybe haven't bulked um, as much this year. Well, you mentioned this two starters, so I'll go right there. Lucas Gordon, uh, first-team All-American, was announced yesterday. He's been kind of that prototypical ace and LeBron Johnson Jr. behind him there's a pretty good opportunity for Texas to start pretty good pitchers in games one and two but is it important for them to stay in that winner's bracket because of the things you mentioned and the lack of maybe guys behind them that they can count on yeah it's vital you know one of the reasons uh, coach Pierce is going with Lucas Gordon in the first game is because of the ability for Louisiana to run what they're third in the nation in stolen bases and attempts Um, but to try and you know set the tone, and that's what David Pierce and the Longhorns want to do. They want to set the tone and get that first win to give them a shot because LeBaron has really electric stuff, and you know he matches up well with a potential Miami matchup. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be vital for the Horns to go 2-0 and to try and get that winner's bracket or at least 1-0. Zachary, RP3 here. Let me ask you, you know, obviously the pitching is there, and that's always key when you start regional play and then go on and try to make a run to Omaha, which this program did just a year ago. Uh, Tell me a little bit, though, about the defense, especially when you're facing off against a Louisiana Raging Cajuns team that's immensely aggressive on the base pass. How good or how great is this year's Longhorns defense? 
I think when you start um, at the outfield, which is a little different than normal, um, you have to look at three guys that are experienced. They've, they've played a lot of games. And if you look at the assist from the outfield, it's just staggering, right? It's not a team that you want to run on. I mean, there's been multiple times in games where teams have tried to take an extra base on a single or tried to turn it into a triple or even rounded first base too much and got thrown out on a back pick because the guys just have really good arms and, and they've got a lot of experience. And so they read it well, they defend well. Um, and then you look at the infield and you've got a guy behind the plate, Garrett Gilmet, who's, you know, he started 48 plus games over two years for USC and he started the majority of the games. You know, he's a, he's a pretty good defender. And then around the bases, uh, you got a true freshman at first base, which sometimes you think, well, that's a little bit of a potential issue, but he's been super, super solid. Um, second base, you have a Vanderbilt transfer in Jack O'Dowd, who's been really solid. You know, he's had to work a lot on his movement to the right. And, um, you know, on the left-hand side, you've got Mitch Daly starting at shortstop this year, which is his more natural position. Um, and then Jalen Flores, the, the true freshman who had a chance to go very high in the major league draft and turn it down, have both played there. And then third base is kind of an oddity, right? You have a guy coming in that was a catcher or utility guy, ends up being put at third base and he's done nothing but just lock third base down. And so the, the defense is really complimentary of each other. They, they position themselves well, they move well. Um, so yeah, that it's going to be really important for them to hold those, hold those runners. We're talking with Zachary Sim of orangebloods.com. He covers the Texas Longhorns. He joins us here on RP three and company as we get a preview of the Coral Gables regional, which begins play this afternoon. Cajuns taking on the Longhorns. Look, Texas is a tradition-rich program, one of the Blue Bloods, as Dawson mentioned earlier, 38 trips to the College World Series, including last year, six titles, six runner-up trophies as well. But how much does this year's team, how much can they lean on that experience that this program has and the experience of making it to Omaha last year? How much can they lean on that for this regional? I think you have some solid pieces, right? You've got a guy like EK or Eric Kennedy. You've got guys like DC, Dylan Campbell, and then again the other outfielder, Porter Brown, who who've all either been to Omaha or, in the case of Porter Brown, you know he's played a lot of baseball at TCU, and so you've got a lot of guys that have experience. Um, maybe not all of them have played significant innings, but you've got guys that have been there and know what it takes. And so I, I don't think it's a concern in terms of the youth or you know the lack of playing time previously, but. Um, one thing that David Pierce, Woody Williams, Caleb Longley, all of the coaches do a great job of it. It's just keeping them in frame. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next weekend, potentially. Let's stay within this game. Let's stay within this pitch, this out. So um, I think experience does lend itself. I think that's another reason why folks like Louisiana and Miami have an equally good opportunity to come out of this regional, though, because they're all pretty veteran teams. So. Zach, one thing that um, we've been talking about throughout the week is the idea of rain kind of messing with this regional. It's certainly a possibility, if maybe not uh, a definite, about rain delays and things like that. Coach Matt Deggs with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, he has a little bit different of an approach. He's used guys multiple times in the same day in different games, so I don't know if he's as you know concerned about bringing a guy back after a rain delay. But what is Coach David Pierce's philosophy about that, especially if you know one of these starters like Gordon or Lebron if they end up going out there and having to sit for rain delay, is he likely to bring them back, or is he a guy who, once they get going, if they have to get shut down, then then they're done for the day? 
I think it largely depends on the situation. If it's a 30-minute rain delay, 45-minute rain delay, he'll bring them back. If you're talking, uh, you know, last year in the ECU Super Regional where we sat around for hours upon hours, no, they won't bring them back. They'll, they'll shut them down and try to bring them back maybe a little bit earlier on short rest. Um, the, the one difference would be a guy like Tanner Witt, who's, you know, still coming back from that Tommy John surgery last year. If there's any cause or break, they will shut him down immediately. They will not bring him back. So it, it it kind of depends on the matchup and, and what's going on in the moment. Well, Zach, we'll get you out of here with this. Um, if the Longhorns are going to do it, are going to get this regional, you know, and, and come out on top of in Coral Gables, what will they have done both offensively and on the mound? I think offensively, you know, they're going to have to get back to what you saw against um, West Virginia where they came out, they were aggressive, they were hitting gap to gap with a little bit of extra power. Um, defensively, you know, just – kind of a solid defense you know they're a 980 club so they just play a solid brand of defense and then i think the most important thing and most important aspect is the pitching they're going to need to get six or seven out of lucas gordon and, and lebaron johnson in order to really solidify and keep that back in bullpen preserved and ready to go well zach we appreciate your time uh, we're looking forward to what should be a competitive game today and a competitive regional all weekend long in coral gables thanks for taking the time for us yeah thank you so much appreciate it this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Regional weekend has arrived. So much baseball. So much baseball is going to be on tap. So many of these regionals feel wide open. And you know what? I usually don't cheer against a team. I I usually don't. I think I know where you're going here, but let's see. But I'm going to root against Kentucky. That's what I thought. And I think it's fair. If you're going to be a clown show... And you don't even have the capabilities of hosting a regional, but but it's but it's hotel quality linens provided. In that, that's what they say, hotel quality linens. Linens. My favorite new part of this story is not only did they not have the hotels to host a regional, you bunch of bozos, you clowns. Not only that, they gave teams the options of saying, "Hey, if you want to go stay an hour away in Louisville, we can hook you up with hotel rooms over there." Like for real. Then on top of it, they could have done it more affordable for the teams coming in having to stay on campus. But some of their dorms are outsourced to an outside company, which was going to charge Kentucky. So Kentucky said, nah, bruh, where are the dorms that we own that are kind of run down? Oh, oh, those are available? Let's make more money here and have everyone stay there. So I'm going to openly root against the Wildcats for 
behaving in a manner of a directional school that has budget concerns because this is a bunch of BS. So I'm going to root against them. I want them to lose their regional. Well, West Virginia can swing it, so you got a shot there. They I can, man. That. They that man. They can rake. They can rake. Yes, as and, as we um, know, Mountaineers can play some balls. So, look, I think Kentucky is vulnerable as the host. I think Auburn is vulnerable. I think Alabama is vulnerable. Watch out, Boston College. Boston College probably should have hosted. They didn't. They're vulnerable. Uh, we talked about Miami. I like Texas to win that regional. Actually, well. and I think Coastal. And and Coastal and Columbia, South Carolina as a host. Man, you're vulnerable. You think in a lot of these SEC teams are going to falter here, I, and and I think a couple will, but I don't know. Uh, I think Auburn gets it done. I think you, South you, Carolina you, gets for, it done. First of all, there's never going to be a scenario in the history of mankind where yep. I'm going to give any sort of compliment to the Tigers slash Plainsmen slash War Eagles. Never yeah, going to happen. Well, I'm aware. It's never going to happen. They're playing. They're playing well right now. <laughs> I will say. And shouldn't you be like, yeah, no, going I'm anti, after Auburn I, I really, because Southern Miss is from the Sun Belt, and you're a big no, Sun yeah, Belt guy. No, it is. Well, and I, I, I do think Southern Miss has a great chance. But like I said, I, I would like to root for Coastal to win because of the Sun Belt, and I just don't think they're playing well right now. I don't think they're going to win the regional. I have to put my biases aside. RP three. That's why I didn't pick the Cajuns to win their regional. There we I, go, I, I hope with everything in go. me that they win it, but. I, we are in agreement. We like LSU to win their regional. I do believe so, yes. Right, right. Th- this isn't a vintage Oregon State team that's in their and regional. And they've got some injury concerns as well. Correct. And they're banged up. So I like the Tigers. Now, it's intriguing to me once we get to the Supers. Once again, the big question mark for LSU, and I'll be in attendance today, is pitching. They have the best pitcher in college baseball. A guy that could go number one overall. Right? Right. The, the player of the year. But who do they have after that? Now, we've seen Thatcher Hurd, we saw Aukhausen, and we saw Cooper show some potential at the SEC tournament. You only need those guys to eat up a few innings for If you can get what you got at the SEC tournament in a regional, super regional, then this team is headed to Omaha. That's what it, that's what, because look, they're going to rake, they're going to hit. Well, what about if Kentucky ends up going to Baton Rouge for a Super? They could find some dorms for Kentucky to stay in. Wouldn't that be a nice one? <laughs> That'd be interesting. I'd make them um, stay at the rest stop on the basin is what I would do. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's certainly an option. Just, but, um, no, all go, things considered. Go, go bundle up with some truck drivers at the basin rest stop. That's what you get, Kentucky. A there's, bunch of bombs. There's also a really, that which I'm interested to see, and look, we had Bill Franquez on, and he said he's not going to know until we're going to know. 90 minutes before the game is when Jay Johnson's going to let us know. What's he going to do? I think the consensus, and it's it's very likely, he's not going to throw Skeens today, but does he throw Floyd or does he go Thatcher Hurd? Personally, I'd throw Ty Floyd. I wouldn't risk it against a team like Tulane that's hot right now that's swinging the bats. I'd kind of try to go with my second-best option get that win for sure, and then feel great about beating Oregon State with Skeens. Skeens, And then once you're in the winner's bracket seat, then you could piece a game together to win one out of the last two. And look, Skeens' last outing was bad. He had really a bad inning. By his standards. By his standards. Uh, If you think he's going to throw that way a second game in a row, you're crazy. It's just not going to happen. The guy's way too good for that. He's just way too good for that. Great show today. I want to take a moment to thank thank our guest, how about James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast, talking all things Astros. Our guy Fish covering Miami. You want to give a go ahead and do the you, – you killed the last name. I'm not going to butcher Cody his Sutterman. name. There we go. Thank you. Uh, I can handle Kevin Foote. I know how to say that name. 
uh, our buddy from Footnotes and the Acadian Advocate, and then Zachary Sim from OrangeBloods.com getting us prepared for regional weekend. Final poll question of the day results. How do you feel about the SEC playing just eight conference games in 2024? You heard me rant about it. I think it's I think it's garbage. Uh, you expand the league. Just play nine games. Come on now. Really? For real? I, no one wants to see Alabama Mercer. No one. No one. 48% of you say it's not a big deal. 32% say it's really weak. 20% say it's kind of weak. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question. Thanks to all of you who left your comments, your gifts, your memes, and all that good things, good stuff. Woo! That's going to do it for our show. We'll be back on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Blaine Viator is in the house. Mr. Karen Crow himself will be sitting in this chair filling in for Kevin Foote. That's next right here on The Game.